Ordinary Fellowship is a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversation among believers. These spiritual conversations will offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and my co-host is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. Uh, Good morning. We want to start off today by reading a passage of Scripture that will set the context for what we want to discuss today. The passage is from James chapter 2, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and the Word of God says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Today, we want to discuss specifically Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, given that, well, the week that Matthew and I are recording this is the week of uh, Martin Luther King's birthday celebration. The week that this comes out will be a week later, but because of schedule constraints, we couldn't do it on the actual day, so we're going to be a week late so anyways, we wanted, to, we wanted to talk about this speech. Uh, it's a very important speech. In fact, I've told people before it's the best speech I've ever heard in my life, I think. And so we encourage you to listen to this. Uh, you can Google it. And of course, Matthew and I will share this on our Facebook page when the podcast is available so that you can uh, listen to the speech. It's very powerful rhetorically. Uh, the imagery in it is powerful, and and his ability, to, his delivery of that speech was really good. But before we talk about this, um, uh, inevitably, uh, this is going to be controversial. Not that we have many friends on the left, <laughs> not by our choosing necessarily, um, and probably not Many of them will listen to our podcast. I'm sure some would say that Matthew and I shouldn't even be talking about this because we're both very white. And we've obviously never suffered from prejudice. But we, number one, we reject the idea that we can't comment on something because we haven't experienced it. Um, so we reject that idea altogether. And, and then, uh, you know, while we haven't experienced that, and I'm, we are not going to pretend to know what it feels like per se to suffer from racial prejudice, um, we've been picked on before. <laughs> I 
I'll speak for myself and say I was bullied frequently when I was in high school. So while I don't know that exact scenario, we know how it feels to be picked on. So so while we certainly are no experts on race by experience or e- even uh, academically, uh, we, we're no experts on race. We don't think you have to be an expert uh, in order to talk, speak on race. And then our friends, uh, and we will have more friends on the right. Our friends on the right may be concerned that we're using Martin Luther King as an example and as a positive example. Recently, like in the last couple years, uh, some accusations have come to light about uh, his sexual behavior that are, quite frankly, very disturbing. And I don't, I, I don't have enough knowledge of all of it, this to really comment on whether it's true or false. And then the other issue, of course, is King had some concerning theological beliefs. And, and no doubt both of these are issues of concern, but I think we all realize that no matter who our hero is, there were moral and theological flaws. We're not talking about this because we think Martin Luther King is perfect. Our other heroes are imperfect as well. If these things are true about King, then they they are uh, very grievous. But I don't think either way that wipes out the truth that he speaks in this speech. Neither do I think it wipes out the good that he did do, positive aspects of what he did that have benefited our society. So we don't have to ignore uh, the things that he has done wrong, uh, but we also don't have to harp on them to the point that it means that uh, we can't even talk positively about him at all. I want to try to have that balance. And the other thing, as far as Matthew and I not being qualified to speak on race, uh, you know, if if we say something stupid, then be patient with us, and we're trying. So <laughs> uh, we don't have... We're, this isn't intended to further racism at all. So if we say something stupid... Write us a, a gracious letter remember, giving us the benefit of the doubt, please. <laughs> so do you have anything to add to my apology at the beginning? Not necessarily just to reinforce the framework that you already laid out, which is to, for us to always remember that as humans we are sinners. And that means we consistently choose wrongly. Yeah. Nevertheless, there are opportunities when by God's grace he allows us to choose rightly. And King evidenced that just like all of us do, in that there are multiple opportunities where he could have chose wrongly, but by God's grace he chose rightly. For it would be really simple, and we'll talk probably talk about it more as we go. It'd be it would be very simple to face face what King faced, to respond in a completely different manner than King chose to respond. And that and that alone provides a framework for us to think about and consider as we examine these topics in our day, in our time. But just to set a little framework as we go into the deeper into our conversation, 
So King gives the I Have a Dream speech in August 28, 1963, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to approximately 250,000 people after he had, they had marched on Washington for the express purpose of ending discrimination and segregation and for to seek freedom. It's probably, as Jeremy already said, the most famous speech, at least in the last hundred years, it's probably one of the most famous speeches in the history of the world. The linguistic flourishes that King uses and the expression is rivaled only by the power in which he, he delivers it. It quite It is something we should all take the time to listen to and consider what he says. And bluntly, from my perspective, the world that we live in today would be better off if we actually considered what King said rather than blowing by it and ending up where we've ended up on both sides of the political spectrum. Right. It's not to say um, that we endorse everything that King says in this speech or that he says everywhere else. I mean... Right. And this is... We, I don't know if we'll have time to even really talk in depth about this article, but Kevin DeYoung had an article about how to talk about race, and that's one of the things that we, we don't do very well at. And I think listening well to people, even people you disagree with, uh, needs to become, especially we as Christians, in order to be an example to the world, need to be better at. We're, right. we're, I mean, we're we're sinners like everybody else. We, you know, maybe we shouldn't be, but we're quick to use labels to avoid listening to people and things like that. And so we're all we're all guilty of those things. But there's a lot. So even if, and there are some things that I have questions about, and uh, and what King says. But by and large, his vision of what he's trying to get across. I think is is powerful and and good and frankly biblical. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to Let's dive look, in. Look at the speech a little. Okay. So there's three things that I I want to focus on. And I'm not going to read big portions of his speech, but there's three things that I want to focus on as far as what's in his speech. One of the things that I think uh, is very valuable is near the end of the speech when he's saying that I have a dream and he's, he says several things. His This is really his vision of what America will look like. And one of the things he says, and everybody knows this, is I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. And one of the reasons why I re- read James chapter 2 is because I think that James chapter 2, in talking about partiality, is saying basically the same thing King is here. What James chapter 2 seems to be speaking of is making judgments about people based on outward characteristics rather than their inward character. To generalize James chapter 2, I think that's what James is getting at, and it's a principle that that is behind that passage and i think king is saying the same thing that this he has a, has a dream where people will be judged not by their outward characteristics whether black or white 
white, rich or poor, those kind of things, but the character, who they are in the inside, their heart. He's looking forward to that day when that happens. And and so I think this is a valuable way to, maybe not the absolute final word on the definition of racism, but it, it's at the very least a good starting point on how to define what racism is. And it's, it's judging people based on the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. And this is a vision, I think it's a biblical vision. I think it's a vision that now is the American vision in a sense. This is what we're, the good parts of America, this is what we're aiming at, to be that kind of people that judges people not on their outward characteristics, but their character. Right. I think that is one of the main conversations that we're having today in the culture is, honestly, from my perspective, I think we forget what King meant when he said that his dream was that his children would be judged not on the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And you have a an attempt to polarize broad collections of individuals into collective groups. And frankly, I don't think that ever works well because there's always outliers. And therefore, just from a theological perspective, I'm judged based upon my sin, not upon everybody else's sin. When I stand before God, I'm going to answer for me, not for you. You have to answer for you. And so I have a responsibility then to make sure my character, my conduct is correct. So while we acknowledge that there is racism still existing in the United States today, I think if we would do well, it would tone the rhetoric down if we, while acknowledging that fact, we also acknowledge that the measuring stick is the conduct of character, not the outward appearance. Right. The next thing, I mean, I, I want to point out this is a good definition for racism, or at least a starting point. Right. It, we may need to go further. Again, we're not experts, so um, I, I think this is at bare minimum a good starting point. So then the other thing I think we should highlight in what King talks about is he, he makes allusions, quotes from the Bible. So, and he talks about faith. So he's obviously, his faith is guiding what he's saying. His faith is guiding what he's preaching. His faith is guiding what he's doing as far as civil rights activities. Now, we may, we may disagree with um, his methodology, things like that. But my point is, is that he's attempting to be biblically informed and biblically faithful. So um, one passage, he says, we're not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I didn't, do you know what, where that's from? I think I it's Amos. It, I think it's Amos 5. Yeah. I forgot to look it up, but there's one direct quote of a passage uh, later on near the end of this speech. He says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. 
The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. So there is another direct quotation from Scripture in this speech. In addition to the fact that I, it seems to me that his idea of uh, not being not being judged on the color of their skin, but the content of the character, I I think is is biblically informed, though not a direct quote from pa- from the passages of Scripture. This speech uh, isn't as filled with biblical allusions and quotes from theologians of the past as his uh, letters from a Birmingham jail. Of course, that's lengthier than this speech, uh, but there he, he quotes, makes biblical quotes. He quotes St. Thomas Aquinas. He quotes uh, John Bunyan. He quotes other Christian theologians as well. So, you know, what I see in King is, is a man who is using, not using, I don't mean that in a bad way, but using coming from his faith is is pushing this mo- movement of racial justice trying to get rid of segregation and ultimately uh, discrimination altogether but especially segregation it, his faith is moving him and informing him and his arguments are christian arguments and even if someone disagrees that it's it's biblically right to do it like that. He's trying to follow the Bible, and he's trying to follow Christian tradition in what he's doing. Right. I think one of the ways for us to think about this today is we want it, we tend to, in the culture, want to create a secular sacred divide. And in reality, there is no divide. And what we believe propels or it should propel our action it in reality it does but therefore if we believe that scripture is true then our responsibility then is to seek to see that lived out in the culture around us we're not supposed to simply ignore it and say well that only matters in sacred spaces (laughs) although some people want to say that but anyways But I think that's what King was trying to do. He was seeking to make the world look like what he was convinced Scripture said it was supposed to look like. And we can, again, we we would disagree on some of what he said it's supposed to look like. But on the fundamental question, King is right in that there's no place in Scripture for discrimination or segregation. And so his ultimate goal was a good goal. Yeah, and really one of the reasons that uh, we're talking about this is obviously we've said in the past we want to model good conversations about these things. We also want to hold King up as a model, a, a better way to engage culturally and politically uh, than than some are today. I won't. I'm not going to pick on any certain group, but. I th- I think he's a better model. We s- first we see him trying to be biblical, trying to follow Christian tradition and Christian thought in this area of engaging culture and politics. 
And another way, this isn't part of a speech per se, but another way that King was influenced by Scripture is his protests were meant to be peaceful. His, he preached love and tolerance. And, and so he, his way of handling the very tumultuous time in the 60s was different than many civil rights leaders wanted to go. Uh, there were many advocating violence and things like that, and King's philosophy thankfully won out. His philosophy that's rooted in the Christian faith uh, eventually won out. And this is one way that he's an example for us. I have a dream speech doesn't necessarily reflect this. His letters to Birmingham jail, which are available online, uh, really you see it even more clearly in that than you do in, in this speech. But the third thing that I want to point out from the speech, and I... Well, I'll just say, is that King is not coming from a position where he despises America. Nor does it seem to me that he thinks that America is inherently racist, as some try to say today. There's been plenty of people and plenty of media outlets that have promoted this idea that America has always been inherently racist from its founding. But King doesn't seem to agree with that. And if if you look at uh, Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass, of course, he lived during the Civil War era. Frederick Douglass used to think that, uh, but he changed his mind. And King is really echoing Frederick Douglass here um, because in his speech he says this, uh, King does, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, King says in the speech that Americans have been hypocritical. So he, he's, he's saying these founding documents were right, and they, and they have magnificent words, but, but America didn't live out those ideals early on. America failed to, to, make, to live in a way that was consistent with their founding documents. So he's... He's saying the problem is American hypocrisy on this, not the founding of America. He's saying that these words, these ideas of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are all good and wonderful things, but America just failed to live up to it. Frederick Douglass, even more powerfully in his what is to the slave or what is to the Negro, depending on <laughs> the title, what is to the slave the 4th of July. Uh, he just tore into people uh, in that speech about their hypocrisy on the founding of America. Um, and he talks in there about how he once believed that America was inherently flawed, but now he's come to see the Constitution as an instrument of liberty. Uh, liberty not just for white people, but liberty for black people as well. 
And so King is going back to these founding documents and finding encouragement for his vision and his project uh, that he's doing to end segregation and racism in America. So I think this is another way that he's a model for us. You don't essentially have to hate America or think America was is inherently racist and therefore the solution to racism is a complete revolution. You don't have to go there. Uh, King is a good example of show, showing that it's okay to point out the hypocrisy of America. That's true. We've been hypocrite. I mean, we've been hypocritical in the, in the treatment of others as well. And that makes sense, but the whole... The way some have portrayed uh, racism as almost like it's the American sin, like nobody else has ever done this before, and encouraging uh, to me, my the way it seems to me, and I could be wrong about this, but it seems to me that they're encouraging revolution, and not always politically, but it seems to be encouraging violent revolution as well. Matthew and I oppose <laughs> political violence, uh, whether it's on the right or the left, for these kind of things. So, again, I, I think what we see here is a model for for us that the way to one of the ways to deal and to be involved in this fight, you don't have to throw America and its ideas under the bus. You can still wholeheartedly believe in them. And the founders, even though they had some serious flaws in regards to slavery, um, you know, there's, by with God's help, by God's grace, and because of people like King, there has been movement. We are, though I, I don't think anybody's ready to say we're in a perfect place now, We there's been good movement. It's it's unimaginable for me to think about the fact that my grandparents, if they had lived in the South, would have experienced, they would have known about segregation. Because it, it, I can't even fathom something like that. I, I can't remember the name of the movie. I'll think about it later, but it's about these three ladies who were involved in going to the moon and they were they were black ladies, and uh, on that movie, she like had to run clear across the campus just to use the restroom. It it's just unimaginable to me that that happened. And if you think about it, it was it was just like was it sixty years ago? About yeah. yeah. I I think that speaks to another one of Matthew's soapboxes which is the history teacher in me, I think we have done a not good job of understanding history and so that we created a culture where our view towards history is almost apathetic. Like it's in the past, so I know it doesn't really matter, so we don't really think about it. And we miss out on the fact that how different things were and how much things have changed and moved and it would do us well to, before we speak on it, 
that we understand it. We understand what the environment was like. We can comp we comprehend how much progress has been made, and not that making progress is a reason to terminate the attempt for more progress, but to understand the steps that have been taken and how much ground has been gained, and to th think about just how, what life was like, and that to realize, I just saw an article that, was it the the grandson of a Confederate general just died. And so we think about the Civil War, and we think about slavery, and we think about all these things, and they seem like they're so long ago. Right. And in reality, in the scope of the history of the world, they're not. And so we need to comprehend, and we need to see how much progress has been made, and then allow that to celebrate that and to use it as opportunity to continue but to remember the lessons of the past. And that means that we have to understand the past in the context of the past. And one of the problems we have today is we try to understand the past in the context of the present. And that never works. Yeah. Well, we better be careful about going too far down this path because we true. could end up on a jolly good rant. <laughs> we, we, that we could. But what, I, what I'll say is this is, to summarize it, I'll say it like this. King understood the past, and his understanding of the past, primarily his understanding of the principles on which America was founded, is what he sought to draw America back to, that she lived out the ideals that which she was called to. She, he didn't say, well, they're terrible and they're horrible and they were completely written wrongly, but he sought to draw us back, and I think that is a valuable thing for us to seek to do that in the... The course of our conduct, our, our responsibility is to call ourselves back to that which we were founded on, which would be, if you want to be honest about it, read the preamble to the Constitution and think about it. Right, and this this goes back to what we what we were talking about the begin at the beginning to our friends from the right who are concerned about uh, possibilities of King's immorality and um, also his some of his theology. King didn't live, even if those things aren't true, let's assume the best, King still did not live up to his ideals. Correct. Because he was a sinner. Correct. I, I don't live up to my ideals. I fall short of my own ideals. And, of course, God's ideals, God's standard is even greater than my own ideals. If we individually are not living up to our ideals then it should be no surprise that a nation of individuals is not living up to the ideal either. Correct. We're, we're all fallen short. We're all sinners. We all stand in the need of God's grace. And whether it's king or whether it's me, I'm thankful that God makes straight lines with crooked sticks. Amen. And on that note, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it at www.tworiverscc.org. We would ask for you to send us your comments, your questions, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we strive to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.